appreciating the presence here and your practice. Hopefully after the third full day of practice, you're finding a little rhythm, a little settledness, a little more ease the first day or two, in case you hadn't noticed, not necessarily the easiest. Uh, And often, not always, but there can be greater ease, greater samadhi, kind of collectedness, attention, a little less tired, a little less busy mind, sometimes. Little moments. As one teacher I studied with used to say, short moments many times. Short moments many times. Don't think about being mindful all day. Forget it. Not going to happen. Short moments many times, quite possible. So what I want to talk about tonight in the theme of the retreat, the theme of the title, which is Loving Awareness, but I want to particularly talk about the quality of awareness itself, that which is really allowing all of this to happen. And I want to talk about it because it's been very profound and transformational in my own practice, as I'm sure it has been for many of you, to understand the nature of mind, the nature of awareness, and what that means for us, what it means for our practice, for our life, for our liberation. And I'm going to share some teachings, mostly, I just was reflecting, uh, mostly from the Thai forest tradition, which is one of the lineages uh, that we very much uh, steeped in here at Spirit Rock. Um, And uh, I think I'm drawn to that tradition, probably because there's amazing teachers and teachings, but also because Thai forest tradition, they practice in the forest. And I can't help thinking that much of the wisdom is gleaned partly because of the influence of being immersed in in the wild like that. Uh, This this reading I'm going to read now is actually not from the Thai forest. It's from uh, uh, Kala Rinpoche, who was a... uh, really, really exemplary a Tibetan teacher who was one of the pioneers of bringing Tibetan teachings to the West. And he was writing to Surya Das, who was one of his uh, uh, key uh, Western students, teachers. And he's in part of this letter, as he's sending Surya Das back off retreat, he says, uh, you are the Buddha, then why do you not feel it? So, but he's really speaking the, the Imagine he's teaching, he's saying this to you. You are the Buddha. Then why do you not feel it? If you don't know it utterly through and through, why? Because there's a veil in the way which is attached to appearances, such as the belief that you are not the Buddha, that you're a separate individual, an anatma. If you can't lift this veil at once, it must be dissolved gradually. If you've seen through it totally, just once, even one glimpse, then you can see through it all the time. Wherever you are, whatever presents itself, however things seem to be, simply refer to this ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity. Simply refer to this ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity. And he's talking about the nature of awareness. Inherently spacious, open, present, clear that that is your refuge and your way to orient to life and to experience. And I'm going to show another thing. This is um, by um, Achan Cha, 
who is one of the great uh, Thai forest masters and teacher of uh, Jack Cornfield and others. He says about this mind, and in this, in this passage he's intermingling mind and awareness as the same thing. About this mind, in truth there is nothing really wrong with it. It is intrinsically pure. Within itself it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful these days is because sense impressions and thoughts and feelings come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness and sorrow. But the mind's true nature is none of these things. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. Then we think it is we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful. If we know fully the true nature of these sense impressions, thoughts and feelings, we will be still. Our practice is simply to see this original mind. So we train the mind to know these sense impressions and not get lost in them. Just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So our practice is to see this original mind, this nature of mind, the nature, the fabric of our mind, which is awareness, which is what we've been abiding in and you could say cultivating in this retreat through mindfulness practice. Through attending to experience, we become more mindful. We become more aware. Short moments, many times, a little bit. Anybody feel a little more aware after three days of practice? Just raise your hand if you're feeling more aware, more present, more mindful at times. right? And as we deepen in this practice, that capacity to be aware, to be awake, to be present grows. And the beautiful things about practice. So, but these teachings are pointing to a, a, a facet of experience which we haven't spoken much to. I'll speak to it tonight and a little bit tomorrow morning, which is to be curious about what is it that is aware? What is it that is knowing? What is it that allows mindfulness to happen? What is it that's aware that you're hearing words, that you're sensing your body, that you're feeling that your breath, that you're seeing sights? What is this quality of consciousness that allows us to know experience? To some of you, this may be really interesting. For me, it's been probably the most fascinating thing in my practice for the last 25 years. For some of you, it's like, who cares? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe. I don't know if you're curious or not. But, I, but if you are, and I think it behooves us in our practice to become curious, what is it that's allowing us to know, to be present, if we're cultivating mindfulness? So when I first started practice, that wasn't, the, this, in, that wasn't my orientation. I was just trying to not be so lost in my confused mind. I went to my teacher after moving into a retreat center, Actually, and I said to him, I said, I, I just thought, what's the deal? I can't be present for more than two breaths. And he said something like, yeah, <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> that's practice. I was like, great, thanks. <laughs> and that's why we train. We train to learn to stabilize, learn to be present, to work with what gets in the way, understand what's, what's uh, seemingly in the way of abiding in presence. 
in awareness. Thoughts, reactivities, you know, patterns, habits, spacing out. And then I, over time, began to do a lot more retreats connected with this tradition, the insight meditation tradition in India. And, and then over here, and I, goes, I started my practice in England and um, began to do longer retreats, one-month retreats, three-month retreats, six-month retreats, and began to really deepen and stabilize in this practice of mindfulness, of awareness, and where the sense of mindfulness became more established. It wasn't so effortful. It wasn't such a much struggle. There was a sense of stability and steadiness. And began to get more curious about this knowing quality of mind, this knowing awareness that, that, that's shining the light on experience. But again, hadn't really given, been given explicit teachings about that. And then I was in India and I went to study with uh, this wonderful Advaita Vedanta teacher, Mandul teacher, uh, Punjaji, Papaji, as you know. And uh, he was both a lover of the Buddha and lover of the uh, Vedanta tradition. And, um, and he, was, he challenged spiritual seekers. And the challenge was, what are you seeking? What you're seeking is already here. You're already awake. What do you think is getting in the way of your awakeness? What you're seeking is already here. It's closer than your own breath. And that was kind of a radical shaking up of consciousness. What does he mean? It's already here. We're already awake. I'm struggling, working hard on this long path, and awakening seems like you know, distant lifetimes, eons away. And he's saying, your Buddha nature is right here, sitting on this cushion. What does that mean? And it was, so it was a profound kind of pulling of the rug of my idea of awakening being somehow in the distant future and not actually intrinsic to, our, to our, who we are. And then I was, uh, went on to study in the Tibetan tradition with some wonderful Dzogchen teachers and Mahamudra teachers, um, where those teachings are explicitly pointing to the nature of mind, pointing to the nature of awareness, to recognize awareness, to abide in awareness as your nature, and to see how everything is revealed once one recognizes and abides in awareness. And so that also was a great shift in my practice in understanding both the nature of awareness and how uh, effortless and easeful practice can be from that perspective. When one recognizes awareness as the nature of our being, it's already here, aware of itself and aware revealing experience. Just like right now, as we're listening, awareness is revealing what's being known. But how how much have we actually looked at that which is being knowing? And then after that, for the last 20-some, 25 years really, also I've been exploring my practice, doing my practice outside in nature. And I imagine many of you have felt in this beautiful landscape how... There's a kind of effortless quality of awareness and presence comes. You're sitting outside on the bench, you're looking at the swaying grasses, you're watching the turkeys walk through the hills, you're listening to the birds, you're catching the light on the trees. And there's a, there's a profound quality of presence 
that we can we can just naturally tune into and and rest in and we're not trying to be mindful of the grasses trying to be mindful of the setting sun and the turkey no, just you just relax and this presence happens it's just a connectedness there's an intimacy of knowing there's this being touched by and so that has been also an important part of my own understanding of the, understanding the nature of awareness and the awareness of nature and the, the interplay between the two. In the, in the Thai forest tradition, Chan Buddha Dasa was one of the great scholars and teachers uh, in, in Thai Buddhism in the last century. Um, also had a great draw to nature. He left the the monastic tradition within in, in, uh, in the bureaucracy of that in, in Bangkok and went to southern Thailand into the jungle to this beautiful forest and he developed a monastery called Wat Swan Mok, which means the Garden of Liberation. And when you went to study with him there, as many friends did, and as I did, um, he would say, um, I'm not the, he wouldn't say I'm not the teacher, he'd say, go out into nature and let nature reveal your own nature. Discover your own nature through sitting and walking in nature. He understood there's a powerful force in the natural world that allows us to naturally access this quality of wakeful presence. So how does this relate to what we're doing here? So in in this retreat, primarily, we've been orienting to uh, being mindful of specific objects, body, sensations, breath, sounds, feelings, thought, the three foundations of mindfulness. We didn't really touch much on the second, which is the, the feeling tone quality of experience. And that is a beautiful, systematic way to cultivate attention, to cultivate present moment attention and learn how to, and as we deepen in that, we learn how to abide with, uh, with awareness, with, with mindfulness. And at times it can seem quite dualistic. I over here, somewhere wherever we identify self or awareness as paying attention to objects. It can have a feeling of separateness or dualism um, or doingness and effortfulness. And that's all part of the the sort of developmental path of the practice. And what I want to speak to today and a little bit tomorrow is how we, that we include all of that as part of our practice and be present to that which is known, that which is knowing. So we've been paying attention to what is known and then we can also be curious. Right now as you're listening, Sounds being known, lecture talk, dharma talk being known. Known by what? What is knowing? What is this knowing that's happening? Achanjumni, another Thai forest teacher used to come here, he called it Mahasati. So the Sati is mindfulness, and Mahasati, Maha means great. It's the, the awareness uh, that's, that's present to what we're mindful of. Could say it's a loose translation, or as Achanchar put it, the original mind. What is the original mind? 
The one who knows, he would often speak about it. Who is the, what is the one who knows? Or one of his uh, students, Ajahn Sumedho, another great teacher in that tradition, he would say, be the knowing, not the conditions that are known. Be the knowing, you are the knowing, be the knowing, not the conditions that are known. So we can be present to the conditions that are known, thoughts, feelings, sensations, experience, etc. What is it to shift the frame of reference just subtly? This is a very subtle shift I'm talking about. To also include knowing and that which is knowing. Or as Rumi would say, the one you're looking for is the one who is doing the looking. This is from Achan Amaro, also another wonderful teacher. Uh, we used to be on the Spirit Rock Teacher Council. He said, in Thai, there's an expression, yu gap ru, and I'm probably pronouncing that terribly, which literally means there with the knowing. It includes a turning away from the object, deliberately not paying much attention to it, and instead putting most of our attention on the nature of the subject, inclining away from the seductive pull of the senses and the focus on and a non-identification with the subject. The aim of this practice is subjectless, objectless awareness. The heart rests in the quality of open, spacious knowing, and there's the recognition of one's, one's of the mind's own intrinsic nature, which is empty, lucid, and awake. So we're shifting. This is a shift from foreground, paying attention to what I'm seeing, to knowing. That seeing's happening. So it's paying attention to this, if you're in the analogy of a flashlight, a torch, and we can pay attention to what the flashlight illumines, or we can pay attention to the light itself. And awareness, you know, it's, can be, you could say, is a light. It's a light that reveals, it's a light that illuminates, it's a, a light that touches and reveals and, and knows experience. So right now, without doing anything, without changing your posture, and just relaxing, however you relax, however you soften, feel a sense of ease, and without doing anything, notice this quality of knowing. Knowing or awareness is happening by itself. You might be curious about what you're knowing, sights, sounds, sensations, feelings, thoughts, memories, ideas, judgments, whatever. But we can also notice how that's happening naturally, effortlessly. We're naturally aware of something. So we're inviting that to seeing both the naturalness of that knowing and to be curious, what is it? What is this mystery that's knowing? You might say, well, it's me. I'm knowing. I'm listening. I'm seeing. I'm doing all this thing. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> what is the I that's knowing? So part of our practice is to include... Uh, 
understanding consciousness, understanding awareness. The Buddha said, consciousness, that which is signless, boundless, and all luminous. Luminous in that it radiates a certain light. Boundless in that it's, you know, we can look up at the night sky and be looking at stars that are millions and billions of miles away. This awareness is boundless in that way, unobstructed. And signless as in, sign, as in no signs, as in no marks, as in unfindable, yet here. This is from Mahabua, another great uh, meditation, Thai meditation master who was the teacher of Achan Chah. He said, awareness, chitta, which is another word for mind, is the mind's essential knowing nature, the fundamental quality of knowing that underlies all existence. The true nature of chitta, of mind, is that it simply knows. There's no subject or object, no duality, it simply knows. Awareness, this chitta, this mind, does not arise or pass away, neither born nor dies, simply is, simply here. And you might notice that in this, and we point to, and the Buddha pointed to the, the one of the, in, the intrinsic, inherent, most sort of definable characteristics of life is transience, is change. And yet when we look to awareness, it has this very familiar, steady, stable quality to it. And that, that notion of arising and passing seems to doesn't quite fit into that schema. So there's a wonderful uh, Tibetan teacher from the, I think the 18th century, Shabka Rinpoche, who wrote beautiful, beautiful teachings on the nature of awareness, one of the wonderful books called The Flight of the Garuda, which used to be a secret text that you could only get through, you know, through having gone through various stages and teachings and practices. And as, as everything has sort of, you know, just become available online, it's now available to anybody. And I had this great, I had this great, teaching about secret teaching because a lot of secret teachings in different traditions I think every tradition has a certain secrecy around certain quite esoteric mystical teachings and someone was asking this teacher who was giving out these secret teachings hey, isn't this a problem these, these have been guarded for centuries in the tradition for certain reasons and I love this answer he said, he said secret teachings are not secret because they're kept in a locked room they're secret teachings because they're profound and subtle and most people will not understand them unless they've had sufficient training and guidance and uh, had them uh, you know, explained in certain ways. Anyhow, that aside. Um, <laughs> so um, so in, in one of these teachings in, in the Flight of the Garuda, um, uh, Shabka asked, question and I'm going I'm going to walk you through this inquiry. So so uh, and you can doesn't matter whether you sit with your eyes open eyes closed. Um, and I'm going to ask you right now to look at your own mind, to look at the nature of awareness. However you understand that. This knowing quality of mind, 
does this awareness that we've been utilizing, does it have a location? Can you locate awareness in your experience, in your physical or sensory or energetic experience? Does it have a location? Is it in your body or out of your body? We tend to locate it in our head, in our forehead. Does awareness have location? Does it have a size? Is it the shape of your body? Is it something beyond? Does it have a shape? A form? Does it have an age? Does it have a color? Or a gender? They come and go. Is it something you own? Is it something you can control? Look directly at your own mind. I'm not going to ask you the answer for that. Because <laughs> the, the point isn't in the answer. The point is to in the, in the question. And just like that lovely line from Rilke about learn to love the questions themselves. Don't ask for the answers now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything live the question themselves, this question, what is awareness? And gradually, without even noticing it, you'll live your way into the answer, he says. He wasn't talking about awareness, but you know, it fits. So as you're sitting and walking and being curious, what is this awareness? And what is its function, which is allowing one to know? So when we look at awareness, we see there's nothing to find. There's no thing. It's not an object. It's not, and because it's not an object, it's not findable. If you find it, bring it up. <laughs> Let us see it. Unfindable. And yet, it's here. There's a here-ness to it. Right? There's a presence to it. So it's empty of form, of substance, but yet is present. And, and its function is knowing, is clarity. So its, its nature is radiant, is illuminating. And in the tradition they talk about it being responsive, as in responding intimately, knowing what is. And so this is, you know, Eugene was pointing to the, you know, the, the, the magical, mysterious nature of life, of being here, of waking up, being present. This is it. This is, this is magic. Right? This thing that 
we can't see or, or feel really or, or you know, not a thing, and yet it's allowing knowing and clarity to happen. Without awareness, no practice is, no mindfulness is possible. So we may sense it as a presence, a presence of clarity, of knowing, of awareness. And it has certain qualities. When when there's a recognition of awareness and, and abiding within it, there's a sense of spaciousness. It can feel boundless. It can feel easeful. It can feel profoundly relaxed. And feel bright, luminous. And it has a quality of non-preference. So whether, whether awareness registers that or that, awareness doesn't care. It's just knowing. Pleasant, unpleasant. It's just phenomena being known we however like certain things <laughs> and don't like certain things like someone clanging this beautiful bell so so when i started learning about this about awareness in this way it was kind of was kind of like mind-blowing it's like wow how come no one's ever talked about that it seems so intrinsic and fundamental and important to life to, to understand how we know how things reveal themselves and in the, in the, in the tradition, there's, there's, there's four reasons why we don't recognize awareness as the nature of our mind. One is, it's too close. It's so close, it's closer than your own breath. Awareness is it's just so, it's so intimate with, with, with our nature, not separate. The second is, it's too simple. We, we think, oh, it, you know, if we understand the nature of mind, it sounds so esoteric and mystical and magical. And so we think it's got to be something fantastical and mysterious and magical. Of course it is, but it's also very simple. It's ordinary. You know, I love when I read these texts about the nature of awareness, and particularly in the Dzogchen tradition. They talk about the luminous, radiant, effervescent, you know, boundless, you know, all these you know, superlatives. And at the end of this very, very long paragraph of all these wondrous qualities, they say, and it's ordinary mind. It's simple knowing. It's just being aware. It's not, it's not, it's very, it's human. It's like one of the fabrics of being human, homo sapiens, sapien, to be aware. And the two other reasons we don't recognize it, one is too profound. It's, 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 and in its simplicity, it's kind of mysterious. And the fourth, it's just too amazing, or too wondrous, too wondrous. So, and some of you might still be thinking, well, who cares? <laughs> All sounds like whatever. Uh, I'm suffering, my knee hurts, <laughs> I'm sad, <laughs> I'm bored, I'm restless, I want to go home. You know, who cares? That's a good question. Encourage you to have that questioning. Who cares? Why? Why do we want to know? Well, when we come to recognize and understand and learn to abide in awareness, 
it, it, it's, a, it's a subtle and a radical game changer in how we fundamentally orient our experience. And maybe you've had experiences of that here, where, where you're, you're relaxed, maybe you're walking down the hill towards supper or something, or you're sitting out, drinking tea, or you're in here meditating. And, and there's just that presence of awareness. You're not trying to get anywhere. You're not trying to make something happen. You're not trying to get rid of something. It's just, there's just a relaxedness. And you see, oh, there's a, there's a natural quality of presence, of awareness that's here. It's naturally knowing by itself. I'm not having to do, be mindful and just sensing awareness and its presence and how it's naturally knowing, revealing experience. So I know for myself, when I began to understand the nature of awareness and be able to abide in that, practice is very simple. It's very effortless. And in that way, very joyful. And there's a certain kind of intimacy with it happens by itself. And so when, we, when, we, we, when we're able to slightly shift the frame of reference to understand or include that which is knowing, one of the things that it allows is, it's as it, we, we tune into some of the qualities of awareness itself. One of those is spaciousness. Awareness is spacious, vast. When we're connected to a sense of spaciousness and vastness, we have much more capacity to accommodate experience. When my knees are hurting, which they often are, more my lower back, um, and, uh, but I'm, I'm abiding in spacious awareness, that it's not a problem. I'm aware of the sensations. It's not a big deal. I sit with them. I can move if I want to. And it's just a natural knowing. But it's held in a spaciousness. When there's more space, there's more we can just there's more capacity to hold experience. So in a way, it, it supports the quality of equanimity. It supports a sense of steadiness. Right? If I'm really kind of contracted and fighting in my knee pain, there's not a lot of space. I'm not going to have much capacity to hold and be with that. Similarly with sounds. Anybody reactive to sounds? Anybody not like certain sounds, like the sound of your mask rustling when you breathe, or the other person's mask rustling when they're breathing, or whatever? I live, I have in this house, and um, I live near here, and, and um, I'm, I'm extremely sound sensitive. There's a, there's, a, there's a medical name for it, I forget what it's called. And um, so I get jarred a lot. And, um, and the garbage trucks love my neighborhood, and they're out every day at six in the morning five days a week. And uh, <laughs> it's great practice. You know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, abiding in awareness, it's just sound. It's beeping, it's penetrating, it's loud, but it's just sound. If I'm in more my ordinary active mind, I'm hating those garbage tracks. So, and it's such a great reference point for knowing what the quality of presence and awareness is in relationship to some familiar sound like that. And it's particularly helpful 
when we're dealing with our difficult emotional roller coasters. Anybody had some roller coasters here? Anybody dealing with emotional pain through the through the retreat? Because the retreat is life, and life there's you know coming and going of ups and downs, and sometimes beautiful, sublime, peaceful, joyful, and at other times incredibly tender, as we've heard, vulnerable, sad, grief-stricken, loss. When awareness again has this ability, like the sky, spacious, open, receptive. Just here, there's a here-ness, as again Eugene was pointing to yesterday, gives us this capacity to accommodate. Whether it's grief, whether it's loss, whether it's sadness, whether it's fear. There's tremendous resilience in the midst of our, of our stuff. You know, I remember going through some, some intense chronic anxiety uh, some years ago. Oh, hello. <laughs> Everyone like looks around like, whose phone is that? <laughs> Sounds like that. So going through this anxiety. And, and again, there are times in seeing when the ordinary mind was sort of gripped and contracted and fearful about it escalating into panic, and other times just being able to rest in that knowing awareness, knowing awareness that can, that can breathe with and be, and be kind with and hold even the most intense emotion. Incredibly, it's, it becomes a, safe, a place of safety. And so in terms of practice, you know, how many of you found the practice quite effortful, a lot of effort? I've been hearing about that today. A lot of work, a lot of effort. Yeah, and there's a certain natural aspect of the practice that's effortful. Right? There's also a way to practice that's more effortless. When we recognize how awareness is naturally knowing and revealing experience, it, we can actually rest into that knowing. Knowing when thoughts arise, knowing when the attention wandered, knowing when whatever experience is here or not here. This is from Anam Tubton. He says, once awareness is recognized, then awareness becomes self-sustained. We don't really have to squeeze our brain to make sure we're maintaining awareness. Awareness maintains itself. That's why it becomes effortless. So it's similarly when, we, when, we, when a thought arises and we shine the light of awareness with our thoughts, mostly the thoughts, as they say, self-liberate, they dissolve. Like they don't hold up to the strength of awareness. We don't have to do anything with them. It's just the knowing, oh, thinking. And then it sort of usually dismantles, dissolves itself. And so the, as we have learned to abide in this awareness, this knowing, it becomes a sense of stability. And in that stability, it, it, it um, supports a quality of knowing which is really the ground for insight. And this is called insight meditation. I know everyone's here like waiting for the insight. Look, it's Wednesday, I haven't had my insight yet. Or oh, it's Sunday or whatever day it is, Tuesday. What day is it? It's Friday, Saturday? Saturday, I know it's a weird retreat time. Um, and so as we sit in awareness, it allows a kind of a penetrating understanding because there's a certain kind of unwavering stability with the attention. 
And so we can see, for example, we can see, and I'll point to this tomorrow morning, we'll point to the, the changing transient nature of experience. Awareness is just here, and we see innumerable things ebbing and flowing. And that's life, the nature of change. Transient, ephemeral, fluid. And there's something about the steadiness of awareness, the stillness of awareness, that actually is a juxtaposition for seeing the shifting, dynamic nature of experience. And why is that important? We see the changing nature of experience. We see it's not worth resisting or clinging to. It's ephemeral. It's, it's passing before our very eyes. When we can rest in awareness in the way that I'm saying, we also get to see uh, the magical nature of experience. Again, as Eugene was pointing to, this, there's just this, like, I think of life as this effervescent, effervescent, effervescent display of phenomena. It's like champagne bubbles. Like every moment, if you look at if you just pay attention, you rest in awareness, there's just this ongoing, magical, continual, it's like movie of life. Display, phenomena, sounds, sensations, memories, experiences. And from the perspective of awareness, it's just phenomena. And that's what those early readings were pointing to, is to, not, we don't need to be so pulled into the minutiae and just see, that's just phenomena. We're not detached and disengaged, we're connected but also seeing it's just, it's like a movie. And in seeing it in that way, we get less embroiled, less caught up. Another beautiful thing as we recognize and abide in awareness is actually we, we rest into a more non-dual understanding how awareness and that which is knowing is not separate. When we're, say, attending to our breath or sensation, sometimes it can feel like there's me, and I'm watching, observing, witnessing, whatever word you use, experience. And when we settle and relax in awareness, there's a slightly different orientation where we sense the the sort of permeability of awareness and the permeability of experience, how awareness and experience intermingle, interpermeate, interpenetrate. And so we see how that reveals the non-separate nature, how we're intimately connected and one with everything. In a very simple and also very profound way. And there's an intimacy in that non-separation. I remember as in India, I was uh, studying um, in... um, Tamil Nadu at Arunachala, this beautiful sacred mountain where Ramana Maharshi, a great Indian saint, lived in the last century. And I was studying with this teacher, whose name I forget, and um, he, he was a prisoner of war in a, in a prisoner of war camp in the Second World War. And um, his job was to, they would lower him into the cesspit which is where the repository of shit and piss, big tank, and he'd have to he'd have to bucket out the the cesspit, and he was putting up to his neck. And and he and in that pr- horrific experience, he had an awakening. 
and what that the intensity of the horror of that experience it kind of it, it for him it allowed awareness to become uh reveal itself and in that experience he was able to know that his essence was awareness and all of this stuff including the shit <laughs> the shit of life was just phenomena and that that's he said it saved his life being able to rest in awareness in the middle of the cesspit that's the advanced retreat you can sign up for that if you want <laughs> i don't recommend it <laughs> there's enough crap around that we can you know without lowering ourselves into um but i was just so moved by his story of you know, we we never know how awareness how insight how wakefulness dawns you know, and often it's actually in the nitty-gritty of our suffering that somehow we access some profound resource or resilience or capacity within us that i would say comes from awareness or comes from the courageous heart you know, when I, I mentioned briefly, I think, somewhere about working with some early trauma, which I went, had to very painfully uh, deal with on a, on a three-month retreat. Um, and um, this kind of early trauma that I was very unaware of until week four of the retreat kind of burst through, and I was literally flattened and, you know, bedridden and chronic fatigue and boat-induced, and um, I was very intense and, and but I'd been practicing for about, I don't know, 12, 15 years. So I had some, some you know, some practice uh, experience. And, but the nature of the pain was intense. And I was flattened. And all that remained, and I was very, very, was very struck by this, all that remained was awareness and compassion. And I wasn't trying to be aware and I wasn't trying to be compassionate. I was just suffering. But there was awareness that suffering was there. And there was a tenderness to my to my to my pain, and I kind of bowed to my practice. Uh, not not I wasn't doing anything, but it was the fruit of, of this practice, the labor of the practice. And so, and in those months and years of working through that trauma, um, you know, really, it's the awareness that the being able to rest in awareness and holding myself in the tenderness was what allowed both the ability to hold it and also to understand it and, and to some degree resolve it. So I'm aware of time here, so I'm going to wrap up in, in about a couple of want to see a few more things. Um, ultimately, when we begin to understand awareness as our nature, it's, it, we find uh, a true refuge, that awareness... Like the, like the quality of wakefulness, we take refuge at the beginning of the retreat, becomes a refuge. It's actually a very reliable refuge because it's an ever-steady presence, always available, always accessible. It's a peace beyond conditions. So again, from Mahabhuri says, the chitta is the mind's knowing nature when dukkha stops, when suffering stops, nothing remains. All that remains is an entirely pure awareness. This is the purity of the mind. If you want, you can call it nibbana. So when the suffering stops, what's, what's here is awareness, presence, 
knowing that has the taste of liberation, the taste of freedom in it. And I want to speak to this last thing, which is the title of the retreat, and I haven't, I'm kind of running out of time to give this much uh, uh, attention, but sometimes when we hear about awareness and knowing and clarity and radiance and luminosity, it can sound cool. And there is a coolness in awareness. There is a kind of a clarity. It's like a mirror that reflects clearly. But there's also a, a responsiveness and, a, and there's a, a compassion or a tenderness within awareness. Or, or how, how awareness meets experience, meets reality. There's a softness, there's a warmth in it. And I, it's kind of mysterious, that quality. When, like I was sitting... Um, by my, by my room, I'm, I have a room down the hill where the teachers and the staff are, and I was sitting out looking at the fields, which we often do, and I heard the piercing cry of Tina, not this Tina, but the peahen Tina. It's this very mournful, and, and I feel for her because she's alone. There's no, there's no, there's all these turkeys, but no other hens or peacocks. I'm like, oh, and I don't know why she's why she lets out this mournful cry. And, and so there, it's just held in awareness, but there's a tenderness meeting the cry. And it's just, it, that's just instinctual within awareness. So I want to share something which I think just beautifully uh, speaks to this. This is from Nisargadatta Maharaj, a wonderful, uh, very awake, uh, Advaita Vedanta teacher from India. Um, and uh, he says, true awareness is a state of pure witnessing without the least attempt to do anything about the event witnessed. Your thoughts and feelings, words and actions may also be part of the event. You watch all of this unconcerned in the full light of clarity and understanding. You understand precisely what is going on because it does not affect you. It may seem to be an attitude of cold aloofness, but it is not really so. Once you are in it, as in awareness, you will find that you love what you see, whatever may be its nature. This choiceless love is the touchstone of awareness. If it is not there, you are merely interested for some personal reason. I love this. He says, once you are abiding in awareness, you will find that you love what you see, whatever may be its nature. This choiceless love is the touchstone of awareness. And so you may notice this when you're, when you're just you know, sitting, walking, going about your day, eating, drinking, resting. And there's just a natural, relaxed presence, awareness. That there's a, there's a, there's a tenderness, there's a warmth. You might, I've, I've had this experience, I'm sitting in the dining room and I'm staring at my, uh, my cup and saucer, plate, and I'm feeling affection for my plate. It's like, it's, it's just such a beautiful plate, like just the form and the color, and I'm like feeling love for this plate, or the, the, the arch of the chair, you know, or the flower pot, and, uh, you know, and just, there's just like a fondness for life, you know, and it can be for, for something inanimate, of course it can be for other beings, for people, for for nature, very easily evoked. And why I spend so much time outside is because this quality of, of, of awareness, of resting in presence, 
is naturally evoked for most of us when we're outside. You know, it's why, we, why Spirit Rock and most meditation centers are in nature for a reason. Right? You sit on a bench, you sit outside the dining room, and you just, you know, it's when, it's when actually we most access this quality of awareness I'm speaking to when we're not trying to be mindful, when we're not trying to meditate. You just relax. And you see, you're seeing, feeling the fruit of your practice, all the effort you put in, when you relax, oh, there's presence, there's awareness, there's connection. It's right here. You don't have to try hard to look at the tree. It's just, oh, there's just an intimate connection with treeness. And so as you're going about your evening and in the early morning, as you're practicing being present to walking, sensing, breathing, hearing, feeling, all the things that we've been inviting you to attend to, be also curious what is knowing. Right? So you hear a sound, and we'll do a little play with sound tomorrow. You hear the sound of the frogs or the cicadas or whatever. You ask, oh, there's the no there's a sound and there's a knowing. What is knowing? What is this awareness that's knowing? Sounds being known, known by what? Sights being known, known by what? And so every now and then just being curious, what is this awareness that's right here? Be the knowing, as that Jensen would say. And not, not to look for anything, not to get a headache about it, not to get mental, just, just occasionally like, oh, what is knowing? And then you let the question go, and you just continue your practice. Sound arises, oh, sounds being known, known by what? Oh. This mystery of awareness, whatever that is. So we start to get a little intimation or a flavor or a whisper or an echo of this knowing quality that is, you know, just the fabric of your being. Okay, let's just take a moment to just let those words go. without doing anything, without trying, without effort. Just see how knowing is happening. Awareness is here, revealing, knowing, illuminating. for your attention. Did, did, did you put those sheets up? Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, just a quick announcement, um, uh, which is uh, tomorrow, um, all three 
uh, teachers um, will um, be putting, uh, so we're, we're slightly changing the format of the group. So you all had a group yesterday or today. Tomorrow, we're going to we put up um, uh, sign-up forms out in the, in the foyer to the left where each of us will be offering two much larger groups. So each group, I think, will have about 12 people in. It's voluntary. Some of you will be completely happy not to be in a group and just to do your practice, and that's totally fine. Some of you may have desire to be in a... I'd, I'd suggest you, you, if you do want to go to a group, you sign up for a teacher that you haven't seen. I'm not holding fast to that, but you know, just to let other people... you know experience other teachers um, just just sign your name and then so there would be groups of 12 two groups of 12 each each of the three teachers and we may not get time to ask answer questions from all 12 people because it's a much bigger group we'll, we'll do our best um, but it's just ch- chance to, to have another meeting with a teacher because we, we know it's very it can be very helpful and valuable so and and don't feel any need to sign up if you don't want to. Totally fine. So um, and if the if all the groups fill up, we'll we'll make an announcement tomorrow about what to do with those who didn't get in. But we'll we'll make sure everybody can make a group in some way. So um, and and then just listen. You might feel like mm, I don't. I'm I'm quite content tonight. I'm just going to abide in awareness. No need for teachers teachings. All good. And then tomorrow morning, it's like, ah, I've really got a question I want to ask. Okay, so you sign up. So you know, sign up when, you, when there's a desire. Okay, so. Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah, so if, you, if you're a bell ringer tomorrow morning, just make sure when you sign up for your group, it's not during your bell ringing time. Because so we have all the bells rang. So um, let's have the bell for the uh, walking, for the sitting. Let's have that bell be at 8.45, 8, 8, yeah, 8.50. Let's have the bell, so in 20 minutes we'll have the bell, and then we'll come back in at 9 o'clock or 5 to 9 for some, our last sitting. Thank you.